You're listening to the Beyond the States podcast with Jen Vimont. Did you know that you can go to Europe and get your entire degree taught in English for less than one year of tuition at many American schools? Jen will take you on a deep dive into the many benefits and options around English-taught higher education in Europe, helping to make the possibility less foreign. Hi, I'm Jennifer Vimont. Thanks for joining me today. We have a lot going on at Beyond the States this month. Uh, first of all, we're developing a What's My Major List service. It's similar to the Best Fit program list we already offer. So this service is for kids who really have no idea what they want to study. They provide me with a bunch of information about their interest and their skills and things like that. And then I give them some options and information about study programs that are offered in Europe that they might want to consider. Also, um, I'm going to be in the Atlanta area the weekend of March 24th. I'm speaking at a college fair on the 24th, and then I'll be doing a presentation that is free and open to the public on the 25th. If you're interested in attending, you can register through our website or just shoot us an email, and I'll add you to that list. We're planning on visiting more cities in the fall. If you think there'd be a good amount of interest in your area, please do let us know. So that brings me to the next thing we have going on here. One reason I'll be speaking in the fall is that that's when we plan to release a book that I'm currently writing. Um, so in addition to information on the benefits and logistics around college in Europe, the book profiles 15 schools that I visited and I've selected for quality indicators pertaining to the international student educational experience and also outcomes, like a job. So needless to say, this is a crazy busy month. So we're only going to have one podcast episode this month, but we should be back to two next month. And next month, you can look for an episode about the What's My Major list, uh, demonstrating how it works with one of our members. So today's episode is the recording of the webinar we did last month. It's an overview of college in Europe. Here goes. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and get started. A whole lot of you are already on the call of the people who signed up. So we'll get started in case any of you have Super Bowl plans today, which I did not know when I scheduled this, that that it was in fact the Super Bowl today, which shows how on top of things I am. Anyhow, like I said, I'm Jennifer Vimont. I'm the founder of Beyond the States. And today we are doing College in Europe 101 as our webinar. So this is going to give you an overview to the differences of college in Europe and different components of college in Europe. Um, really interesting group we have here today. I looked at um, the registration information and I saw that there are 30 states represented, represented, represented in um, all of you who are joining us. Uh, over half of you are either a student or a parent of the student who's ages 16 to 18. A quarter of you have students who are uh, 15 years old and younger and a quarter of you have students who are older than 18. And it's a really, you know, honestly, and we'll get into more of this later, whether you are thinking for your 11-year-old or whether you are, you know, a 44-year-old looking, really um, the time frame is, is fine. Um, it's nice to start early because you'll know the admissions requirements and you can plan accordingly. But even if, if you have a senior in high school, for instance, um, there are some countries that don't open their admissions process until March. So, you know, there's there's really something for everyone. We have the Seattle area highly represented today. And also, uh, and of course, the greater D.C. area. I, I see that a lot. Um, also, Alpharetta, Georgia. We have a whole lot of people from Alpharetta, Georgia here today, which makes me think that I should uh, I should plan a trip there sometime. Anyhow, let me... 
hop into the presentation. Okay, so why we started Beyond the States. So I, my husband Tom and I, we have teenagers ourselves, and we have international interests. And my background is in um, mental health. So when I was working in mental health, I did meet with a lot of teenagers, college students, and parents. And what I was learning about what was happening in high school to prepare for college or what was happening in college, it really concerned me. And of course, you know, you can't look anywhere these days without seeing problems about the costs. So I, you know, even when my oldest, who's now a junior in high school, Sam, even when he was in middle school, this stuff was sort of on my radar. The admissions process, the quality of education, the cost, student life issues. Every time I'd see something that addressed one of those issues, there were still many of the others. Um, so back in spring of 2015, Sam was in uh, finishing up eighth grade. I saw an article on my Facebook feed about uh, an American who was going to school in Germany uh, for free. And it piqued my interest. I thought I'd check it out. Um, I thought it would be a little, you know, weekend project on my back porch, seeing if this was something we wanted to, to think about for ourselves. But I'll tell you, I had a lot of problems with the research. Uh, there are so many differences between countries, and there's so much confusing information, and there was no single source of information um, that presented not only the program information, but a lot of the other details that we're going to talk today. So I was frustrated. Uh, but I knew enough about the benefits to know that this was something we would definitely be looking at for ourselves. And I also knew it was others would know about as well. So at that point, I decided I would create Beyond the States. And so I spent a, over a year at that point um, researching, visiting schools, talking to administrators so that I could provide you with this comprehensive, objective single source of information. Um, what I did is I tried to find all the information that I wanted when I was doing the research and put it in one place. Uh, this is, when I say objective, unlike other, some of the resources that are out there, we don't take money from the schools at all. And so when I see something that seems a little sketchy or questionable, I'm able to relate that to, to our members and let them know that, that that's something they might want to think about. Um, it's also ongoing, the updates, uh, you know, we update our database as new information is released and I continue to visit schools, which I love. Um, and, and this firsthand information is, is also something that sets us apart. For instance, there's a school that I visited that I think a lot of, it's called the University of Pech. It's in Hungary. And there was a student who, who um, completed this best fit list for us, uh, best fit form for us. And I'll talk more about that service later. And I thought this might be one of a few schools that would be a good fit for her. And she expressed her hesitation about Hungary and sort of um, some of the weather and, and issues that she had uh, with Hungary. And I was able to tell her because of its position in the country, it has more of a Mediterranean feel and how the city itself is a student city, and it's very international. And I was able to speak to some of those concerns more than I would be able to had I not been there myself. Um, we're also able to be inclusive, because we don't take money from schools, um, we're able to be inclusive of all the accredited programs um, throughout continental Europe. That's what we focus on. We don't focus on um, the UK. A lot of that is because it's an Anglophone country. And so figuring out the system is easier, the other reason we don't focus on the UK is, or deal with the UK, is because um, they have a lot of the same problems that we do here in the States. So if I'm presenting solutions, you know, certainly schools in, in 
the UK. And certainly there are some that are affordable and some that don't have some of the admissions issues that, that I see. But because um, as a country, a lot of them do, we're not, um, we don't deal with them at all. So let's talk about some of the benefits. So uh, what are the benefits to college in Europe? Certainly tuition. This is the one that usually grabs people's attention first. But what's interesting is that as, as people find more, you know, they, they're grabbed in because of the tuition, but as they learn more about the process and learn more about the benefits and actually go ahead and study, the, um, this benefit moves down on their list as more of a secondary benefit to the others. However, it's, it's, it's still a really important one because we all know about the high cost here. I mean, it's, it's crazy. But all of our programs, we have over, over 1,700 accredited bachelor's degree programs listed, 100 schools. And the average tuition international students pay for bachelor's degree programs is about $7,000 a year. There are almost 400 programs that have tuition under $4,000 a year, and there are at least 50 options that are tuition for even for international students. But the other thing we have to consider here, I'm giving you the annual tuition rate, but programs in Europe, bachelor's degree programs, full bachelor's degree programs that are accredited and can get you a job here in the U.S. and, you know, get you into a master's degree program. These only take usually three or three and a half years to complete. So the savings is, is um, increased even more when you look at that. And in many cases, it costs less to obtain a full bachelor's degree in your including travel costs than attending a U.S. private school or out-of-state school for a single year. And we have a few, if you look at our website, um, on our blogs page, on our blog page, we have uh, a few real-life examples of students and, and charts. Uh, how this is the case. It blew my mind when we figured it out as well. So admissions. There are huge benefits related to admissions, so much so that we're going to talk about these separately. But um, suffice it to say for now that it's drastically different and a lot more transparent. We'll get to that in a few minutes, though. Um, the travel opportunities. Certainly, you know, you have a travel opportunity just in the fact that you're going to be studying in a different country. However, you also have the opportunity when you're there travel opportunities. Certainly, it's a compact country, and so it's easy to, to get from place to place on the weekends. And if you meet another student who's from, you know, I don't know, Romania, going there if you have a long weekend, since you most likely will not be coming home for those long weekends. Also, you have the opportunity as an international student to do a semester abroad in addition to what you're already doing. It's, um, and it's sometimes required by your school or program. It's called the Erasmus Plus program. Um, we have our, our podcast, you, I don't know how many of you listen to our podcast, but we have it, it's on iTunes, you can search Beyond the States, there's links to it on our website. And our podcast this week has an interview with the president of the Erasmus, tells us all about those opportunities and how you can study abroad as an international student for no additional fees and um, how the majority, how huge portion of European students are doing this. Um, the language skills. You're going to have an opportunity to learn the language um, of the country you're living in. You don't need it for academics. All of these programs are completely 100% taught in English. The readings in English, the assignments are in English and all that. But they do provide opportunities for you to learn the language of the country in which you're studying and also other language learning as well. Um, another one that is huge is 
the benefit of having a competitive edge in employment. So sometimes that's through concrete things like internships are far more prevalent um, in these European programs than they are here. Um, and it's something like, I've seen numbers from uh, that employers hired 50% of the interns who worked for them as full-time employees later on. And in some fields, it's closer to 75%. So that's a huge aspect of employability. And this isn't like, a, okay, it's summer, you know, go get an internship and find it yourself. Internships are built into a number of these programs. As opposed to, in the U.S., only one of three graduates had an internship in college. But, you know, the other thing is uh, the soft skills that you learn through studying abroad. You are uh, comfortable working with people with other perspectives, and you're showing your employers that you're flexible. You're able to navigate unfamiliar circumstances. You're, you're comfortable with group work. There's a lot of that in Europe. So as a graduate from a European university, you're showing employers that you have all of those skills. And in fact, recent study by the Institute for International Education that found that studying abroad for longer periods of time, by which I mean more than these, you know, kind of eight-week summer things, um, it has a high impact on job offers as well as job advancement. So those are the benefits. Let's get into some of the details about college in Europe. Uh, we're going to start by talking about some of the differences, um, the important differences, and some of the different terms that you'll need to know. The first thing to know is that there are basically three different types of colleges that you're going to hear about. The first one are the research universities. They're similar to what you would think of as most universities here, except that it's more of a focus on preparing students for their master's degree. There's a real research focus here, though some research universities uh, incorporate practical aspects as well. The focus is, what do you need to get your master's degree in this program? Now, some of that is because until recently, and by recently, I mean, I think about the 90s. I'd have to look that up, so don't quote me on that one. Um, until the Bologna Declaration, which standardized higher education across Europe, bachelor's degrees and master's degree programs were combined in Europe. So still, you know, you have some kind of old school people who are like, what is this bachelor's degree? So the research universities kind of, they're separate, but the, the, um, the way they're approaching education is with the assumption that the student will be going on to do their, their master's degree. That said, they still have internship opportunities. They still have a career option, uh, a career, um, career fairs, and a career office that you can take advantage of. So it doesn't mean you have to get your master's degree. Uh, universities of Applied Science, however, these are full bachelor's degree programs. It's not like a vocational school or, or something like that that you might think of. There's really nothing like this in the U.S., but they have uh, a practical focus, and it's about applied knowledge. In some countries, these schools are absolutely awesome and, and as prestigious as a research university. And in some countries, there's a little bit of um, academic snobbery about them. That said, they are still full bachelor's degree programs. And um, like if I can tell you right now, if you're looking in the Netherlands, the universities of applied sciences are extremely reputable. Um, I've had a lot of people tell me from research universities that the interns that they had from universities of applied science were far more equipped to know kind of how to use the knowledge that they had. Um, I, you know, I think about my own bachelor's degree and, and, and my master's degree because universities of applied sciences do have master's degree programs. I'll just say that there. 
you can go and get your master's degree at a research university in Europe, but you do have to take some research courses first. So you're not going to have um, stats or introduction to research methods at a university of applied science, which is one of those things that makes it different. University colleges. I'm speaking specifically about the Netherlands with this term. And what they are in the Netherlands is this is a component of a research university. It's a self-contained department um, of a research university that offers an honors level liberal arts program. So, you know, if you're at Leiden University, your diploma is going to say Leiden University, but sort of the program you're in is a university college. The benefit here is that um, you can wait until your second year to uh, sort of declare your major. We're going to talk more about majors and programs in just a bit, though. So let's talk about the admissions process. So I had a lot of concerns about how that is here in the U.S. It's not only is it not transparent, but, you know, they're allegedly looking at everything. You know, they're looking at your SAT scores. They're looking at what clubs you're in. And why is it going back? There we go. They're looking at what clubs you're in. They're looking at your activities. They're looking at your grades, looking at what courses you took. Um, so really there's no way you can ever achieve enough, you know, because there's always going to be somebody, if you have perfect SAT scores, there's going to be somebody who, who has perfect SAT scores and has more clubs, you know, there's, there's never, um, enough, if you will. So, um, and it just feels like a pressure to collect accomplishments as opposed to sort of meaningful, uh, exploration throughout high school. So. Let's talk about how it's different in Europe. The first thing we have to look at when we're thinking about Europe, and we have to sort of unlearn this, is in Europe, we cannot equate selectivity with uh, quality. And of course, this is about cost, too. We have to kind of unlearn that. Cost does not equal quality. Uh, selectivity does not equal quality as it pertains to Europe, nor does it mean anything about the reputation of the school. It's, it's just a different, it's a completely different philosophy. And it's, it's hard for me to still wrap my brain around after a number of years of doing this. So bear with me for a minute as we try to unravel this. There's something that's called selective involvement. So it's sometimes just not called this. It's just the way they do things. But what this means is they have a set of criteria. And if you meet that criteria for that program, then, then you're in. It's just... That simple. There's not an enrollment cap. And so if you have this, if you meet this criteria, then you're in. So for instance, my son, Sam, he's applying to one of these schools. Part of the beauty is he doesn't have to have a safety school. There is a school program at a school in the Netherlands that he loves. We visited it. He definitely wants to apply to it. And it requires three AP scores of, of three or higher. And we'll know whether he has those at the end of the year. We, we knew what the Netherlands require. And so he took one AP course his sophomore year. He's taking two this year. Um, and as long as he has scores of three or higher on these and a GPA of 3.5, then he'll be in. They don't care about his extracurriculars, thank goodness. Um, they don't care about his ACT or SAT scores. He won't have to write an his favorite word, which seriously was an essay that one of my neighbors told me about her son had to write on this year. If he has these qualifications, you know, he'll apply in October. And we'll know by Thanksgiving that he has a provisional acceptance, of course, you know, depending on whether he graduates, which he better. So it's less competitive. There's um, rolling admissions usually, which, which uh, contributes to that. Every country has different requirements. 
And let's talk about some of those. What are these admission requirements? So in some countries, all it is is a high school diploma. And again, nine times out of 10, you can apply before you have your high school diploma for provisional acceptance. Some will have a GPA requirement. Some ask for an ACT or SAT for. Now here is a thing. And this is, I, if, you, if you've listened to any of our podcasts or read the blogs, you know that I get really um, hung up on the myth of American exceptionalism. Because so many times people say, oh, but is education in Europe as good as it is here? Here's the crazy, it's not so good here, people. In, um, there are certain countries that in order for our American high school diploma to be the equivalent of their high school diploma, American students have to have these extra qualifications to make equivalent. So in Denmark and in Italy, you have to have three APs with scores of three or higher. That is not true about the AP Italian class, so please disregard that. Um, in the Netherlands, most of the schools require four APs with scores of three or higher. This is not the case for universities of applied science, though, in the Netherlands. So that's important to know. It's the research universities, not the universities of applied science that require the APs in the Netherlands. Uh, Germany requires a number of courses and grades and SAT scores. So, so it really varies. This is all stuff we have in our database. It, it spells it out for you. Um, if you have a year of college, then you're usually fine. Um, if you have an IB diploma, you're usually fine. So let's go on to... I do want to talk for a minute about admissions. And because there are a few headaches, it's not all a walk in the park. It's great that it's transparent. You know if they say you need a 3.5 GPA, you shouldn't apply if you have a 3.2 because it's, it's, they have the requirement. Often these requirements are made by the country, so there's not that wiggle room. But um, So some of the possible headaches are that um, there can be some confusing procedures terms. You can see something about nostrification or legalization. Usually the thing for you to know if you're a U.S. citizen this usually just means going to the Secretary of State's office and getting something called an apostille um, certificate for your diploma or your transcripts. It's not a huge deal. Um, so what are other headaches? Uh, Italy, you generally have to go to the embassy, to the Italian embassy if you're applying to Italy. Um, and then it's just, you know, it's, it's knowing the kind of terms on these um, applications. You know, sometimes... It, there are headaches with like the Netherlands centralized system. Um, but again, it's transparent and it um, avoids a number of the more arbitrary uh, headaches you might have here in the U.S. So this is a really important thing we're about to talk about. I've been talking a lot about programs. I've said this program at this school and this program at this school. What I mean when I say program is basically like knowing your major. Because in most of the schools in Europe that we're talking about, you apply to a specific program at a school. So you wouldn't be applying just to Leiden University. You're applying to the international studies at Leiden University. And then that program evaluates you and the admissions requirements they have. So you're admitted by that program of the school. So the benefit here is that you don't have gen ed requirements. Your gen ed requirements really related to your course of study. Now, you're still going to have the opportunity to explore other interests through electives or through your study abroad semester, but it also allows you to really graduate with a lot of knowledge on your field of study, you know, knowing uh, a lot about a little instead of a little about a lot. And that's what the saying is. Um, but it does scare a lot of people. They think, I, I don't know what I want to study. 
So I want to take a little bit of the fear out of that today and tell you about some of your choices here. Because there are very broad options as well as narrow. Often the broad option programs allow you to, to choose a specialty um, later on in the program. And there are also a lot of really integrated programs. So you can just apply to a business program. Or maybe you want to be a little bit more specific and there are agribusiness programs. Or even more specific, and sign me up for this one, is the International Wine Business Program or the International Business of Food and Flowers. Of course, there are a ton of also international business programs that allow you to specialize on a certain region, and often you can choose that region later on. So you're learning international business, but you're also learning about you know, the culture of China, for instance, and the language of China, which allows you a lot of opportunities uh, in China. Usually your study abroad semester would be there as well. You know, there, there's an arts, culture, and media program, which combines a lot of interests for, for kids who have arts-related uh, interests. There are also fine arts programs, and then, you know, more uh, specific character animation. So, uh, what's even cooler are the options for kids who have a lot of interests and, and can combine them. So, for instance, before, uh, earlier, I mentioned a, a service we offer called the Best Fit List. And it's where members fill out a comprehensive questionnaire and then I give them a short list of programs that would be a good fit and information about why. And it's kind of a good starting point. If you become a member and you have access to our database of 1,700 programs, it can be hard to know where to start. And so this is a nice place to know where to start. So um, there was one of our members and he had a whole lot of varied interest. He was interested in international business. He liked economics, uh, political science, international relations, and law. So... When I, when I work on a best fit list, the first thing I do is try to identify programs that can incorporate as many interests as possible. And if on the program, I look at ways that the school can accommodate the other interests as well. But this student was in luck. So unlike um, majors and minors in the U.S. where they, you kind of study two different areas in a vacuum of each other, many programs in Europe combine them in, in a meaningful way. So a few options this student had um, included an international business and politics program at Copenhagen Business School. There was a management of international challenges program at Erasmus University in Rotterdam, which looks at international challenges from a political, economic, legal, and social perspective in order to figure out solutions to those problems. And of course, there are many programs that are some version of PPE, PPLE with those letters standing for politics, philosophy, law, economics, sometimes psychology, that are all, again, combined together in meaningful ways. So there are often these interdisciplinary focus, even when you can't tell it by the title, you can read the description of the program and, and then you're able to see that it's uh, more interdisciplinary. So there are also a lot of area studies programs that look at the culture, politics, economy, language, and history of a specific area. The program that Sam, for instance, is uh, applying to is at International Studies at Leiden, and they're looking at all of those aspects, and then the student chooses their region of interest in their second year. So Sam is really interested in the Middle East and in Arabic, so he's already planning. He knows what his specialty uh, area will be, but a lot of students don't, and they have, like, I mean, the number of regions they have that you can choose to specialize in at that school is really cool. Um, and see, and I can tell all of you about this because it's non-selective enrollment, so it's not like, you know, you're, com you're not competing for spots, which is pretty cool. 
Um, engineering is an area that's usually pretty specific, but there are a couple of general or, or integrated um, options for engineering as, as well. Really, I can tell you that almost every field of study has a possibility in Europe. And then, as we talked about before, there are the liberal arts programs at the university colleges. So these do allow students to choose the second year. Often there are ways to customize um, the, the or with the university colleges as well in ways that are, are interesting to the particular student. So I'm um, working on a new service right now. You know, like I said, we have this best fit list. One of the things I'm, I'm working on that I'm developing right now is sort of a um, best fit list for areas of study where, you know, I would have a student, I would collect information about a student and then based on what they tell me about themselves, give them areas to look at, you know, these, look at these arts, culture, and media um, programs and see if that's an area that interests you. And I say this because, you know, while Sam knows exactly what he wants to study, I have a daughter who um, is in eighth grade who uh, is still pretty sure that, you know, Broadway is where she's going to end up. And bless her heart, I love her, but she's, she's not going to be on Broadway. She's accused me of being a dream crusher. I completely support it as, as a hobby, but, you know, we all have different skills and talents and gifts and um, still helping her find hers. Anyhow, but what I'm saying is I, I do try to expose her to different interest areas as well, or try to think about how could this love of Broadway musicals translate into different study areas. So this is something that I hope to be offering in the future. And just I am asking if any of you have a team who has no idea what they want to study who would be willing to be on our podcast. I am looking for a volunteer to be a guinea pig for this form and then talk about talk about it um, on our podcast. So shoot me an email if that's something uh, you think you or your, your teenager would be interested in. So academic life. There are a number of differences here too. One is, like we already talked about, the, the gen ed requirements that you take are going to be related to your study area. This means you're studying psychology you're not going to have to take Economics 101, but you'll have the opportunity to take Economics 101 if that's something that interests you through your elective um, and study abroad choices. So there's also this thing called ECTS that you'll see a lot of. And this is basically the European way of calculating um, semester hours. So here in the U.S., your credit hours are calculated by the number, by the amount of time that you spend in the classroom each week. So if you're taking, you know, full load is, what is it, 15 hours, I think is full time. That means, or 12 to 15 hours, that means that you are in class for 15 hours. In Europe, they calculate it based on how much time that class is going to take you in and out of the classroom. Um, because there are things like, uh, there's a lot of group work outside of the classroom. Um, a class might have a lecture component, and then with that lecture component, there's also a seminar component. So all of that is calculated in order to come up with ECTS. And it's basically um, 30, you know, if you're a full-time student, you're taking 30 credit hours, or 30 ECTS, um, and you're taking 30 hours. Each week, you have 30 hour, hours of work inside and outside of the classroom uh, towards your studies, and that's what you should, should allocate for. Um, relationships with professors. I'm finding in most places, um, you know, less so in Southern Europe, more so in Northern Europe, professors are really accessible. And in Northern Europe, you have this flat hierarchy that really does extend 
to the classroom. Um, so, so professors in Denmark in particularly, I talked to a student who said she really appreciated how friendly and, and the you know, flat hierarchy uh, relationship she had with her professor. She said she still was not used to the emojis that would be sent in emails. Uh, in Denmark, there's all Friday bars, and this is where each study department every Friday, they set up in a classroom with soft drinks and, and alcoholic drinks and, and the professors and students just get together and hang out, which is, which is pretty cool. Um, usually small class sizes, even if you have a lecture component, usually the lectures are not more than, when I ask, when I visit schools and I ask about the lectures and they say, yes, we do have some very big lectures. I say, how big? And they're like, oh, 100 students. And that just kind of cracks me up because I think about the lectures when I was going to school of, you know, hundreds and hundreds of students. But those lecture classes, those are more the theoretical classes. And so the classes that aren't theoretical have these seminars, um, which is really cool when you think about it, because these English conducted programs are for students from all around the world. You know, we're actually, as Americans, kind of come into the game late. These have been, you know, students from England have been going there for ages, but English is such a, a taught language around the world that, that they're able to have students from, you know, countries in Asia, country, you know, just everywhere you can think of, these students are coming from. So it's a very, very international classroom, particularly when you're talking about, you know, political science, uh, international relations, even international business so many of these have a component in which the international perspective is really important and really interesting as well. Like I said, internships and um, study abroad, usually the third um, year, the first semester of the third year is set aside for students to choose to do a study abroad or an internship um, or a minor at that university. Sometimes one of those things is required to do, and then sometimes uh, internships set up throughout the year that um, is structured in, into the program. Oh, the other thing I want to talk about is finding study advice. This is something different, too. Along with that educational philosophy about the accessibility of higher education, that doesn't mean that... Um, that there aren't high standards. And so sort of it's, it's like students have to prove themselves the first year. They're not going to use the grades that you have when you were 14 years old to decide if you should get in. But while you're in that first year, you need to really prove that you have what it takes. And that's something called binding study advice. And for this is the case in many countries and in some schools, I'll have a set number of credits that you have to pass that first year. And if you don't pass those classes to get those credits, then you're not invited back the second year. And it's never a surprise. They look at it after the first semester and usually, you know, put supports in place and, and such um, if you're in that kind of danger area. Uh, but, but it definitely happens. Uh, we talk a lot about this and the admissions, other admissions um, information on our podcast episode. I think it was episode two in which I talked to an administrator from a school in the Netherlands do talk a lot about finding study advice there. If you have questions, I encourage you to check that out. So student life. Um, the biggest difference about student life is your student life is more about being a student of that particular city as opposed to specifically of that school. So for instance, I live in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Duke University and UNC Chapel Hill are within, you know, spitting distance of each other. 
but you will not find Duke students and UNC students at the same parties, at the same bars. It just doesn't happen. Um, part of the reason it's so centered on, on city life is the way housing is structured. And it's very, very, very rare that universities own their own housing. Sometimes they contract with housing providers, but it's rare that they have their own housing. Um, university colleges are the exception to that rule. Not only do they have their own housing, but they require students to live in it for at least one year. It depends on the program. But So that's separate. Other than those, um, you will likely live in a student residence. And so these are not owned by the school, which allows for market competition, which is kind of nice. And they're also made up of students from you know, different schools from around the city. It's structured differently as well because um, you're, not gonna, you're likely not going to have a roommate. They're usually single rooms, usually a solo bathroom, sometimes that's shared, but private room, bathroom, and then a shared kitchen and living space. And you need the kitchen because there's not board. You know, it's sometimes very few, but some student residences will provide a board option, but usually students are cooking for themselves. You might have a meal at the cafeterias or canteens that are on campus, but those are not generally open every day. So what's cool about this is that meals become this sort of international, intercultural, social event, um, and the students I talked to have, have really enjoyed that component of it. So the other thing that's really different is the drinking mentality. And certainly the drinking age is younger in Europe at 18. Um, and every American who I've talked to who's studying in Europe has used a word similar uh, along the lines of civilized. It is a more civilized mentality about drinking. Um, certainly drinking happens. Certainly drinking too much happens. But that's not the goal. You know, it's not let's go out and get hammered. You might be... Um, you know, at dinner and then going out to go dancing and you end up getting, having too many, but that's not the goal of the night usually. Um, often also these social events happen with professors. You know, there was one student I talked to who said that at the end of their orientation week, they had, there was a big party, a barbecue with drinks being served and they're there socializing with the professors with drinks being served. And here she was 18. And she said that that really being treated like an adult like that, um, makes you act more like an adult, if that makes sense. Um, and the biggest thing I hear is just that binge drinking is not an issue. People, yes, they drink too much. You know, they're 18, they're 19, they're 12, whatever. Drinking too much happens, but it's not the binge drinking mentality um, here. So you will also find orientation and buddy programs that are really helpful um, for students when they're first acclimating to being an international student and that often kind of kickstarts um, the social life as well in the student life. The orientation programs often introduce them to the different social activities, the student associations, which are clubs related to interests uh, like academic, arts, culture, po uh, cultural, political, food and drink, student publications, just general party associations, those happen too. Your academic department also has an association. It's called a study association. However, in addition to things like lectures or career fairs and things like that, they do have social events as well, which gets, is a way for you to get to know other students within that department and also um, the staff at that department as well. But I will say that, uh, well, let me talk about sports first because that's another big difference. People often say, well, you know, I, I really want the sports scene and they don't have that in Europe. 
I will say that though you were not going to be going tailgating before college football games and, and things like that, there is still the opportunity for sports. Um, depending on where you are, you know, soccer is huge. Basketball is huge in some areas. Uh, ice hockey is huge in some areas. So there's still ways to be involved in spectator and in participating in sports. Um, there are usually big sports centers for the students, um, either attached to the university, if it's a bigger university, or through the city, which has sports associations, um, and also ways to play intramurally and, and competitively as well. Not like here, but again, um, it doesn't mean that there's nothing. It's not kind of a feast or famine type thing. Um, the biggest thing I'm finding as I'm talking to students in Europe, the biggest impact is the connections that they're making with other international students. And I don't mean other American students, I mean other international students. You're sharing such a meaningful experience. You're, you're all living outside of your home country, which is, you know, it presents a lot of um, challenges and excitement. And so you have that experience. And even more than that, you have these shared values around wanting to be in another country. And that forms these really deep connections that are um, just really incredible. People, I, I get goosebumps when I hear about it sometimes because it's just really a deeper connection than, than I feel like I can even really imagine. So let's go on to who this is not for. Because I do say a lot, oh, this isn't for everybody. But then I was kind of thinking about, well, why not? So who is it not for? And this is not a judgment. If you fall into any of these categories, it's not a judgment. I, I, you know, it's hard to phrase these in ways that don't sound like a judgment, but they're not. There are some people who are not interested in other cultures. There are some people who, who aren't interested in travel. If that's you, then this isn't for you. Because you definitely, you need to be adventurous. You need to be curious. You need to be open-minded. I can also tell you, I get emails sometimes that say, oh, well, you know, I'm so interested in this. I really want to go to school in Europe and I hear that there's free options and I have no money, so I want to do this. And you're going to have trouble there because there, there are travel-related costs and there's also something called proof of means. And this is money that you have to have up front to get your student visa and residence permit to show that you can support yourself through the year. Each country has a different amount for proof of means, um, and it really varies. And you, you do use that money to live off for the year. So it's kind of having that up front. And there are options for it. Scholarships make it lower. Parents can um, kind of co-sign, if you will, or guarantee it. But that is a, a barrier. You do need to have some money to put up front. And the other thing is there are some people who are more sensitive to group norms than the others. I don't know if any of you listen to Malcolm Gladwell's podcast. I love it. And last year, he, um, he had an episode about threshold. And basically, it talked about norm and how there are some of us who are more, more comfortable, if you will, um, making decisions outside of group norms. Then there are people who need you know, more information to decide whether they should or shouldn't stay within group norm. And then there are others who are like, this is where I'm staying, right here within the group norms. If you're in either one of those first two groups, absolutely, this is for you. If you're in the third group, this is not status quo yet. You know, this is still an outside-of-the-box solution. So if that's something that's, that affects you a lot, then this probably is not a good idea for you. The other thing is, is that a certain level of independence is needed once you get there. And you are going to need to be proactive. Um, these are skills you can develop once you get there. 
But if you're not interested in kind of the challenges that go along with being independent or proactive, um, then you're, you're also going to have a problem. Again, these are skills that you can work on now and that kind of have to work on when you get there. Um, we do have a podcast episode um, about what you can do to kind of grow these skills as well. So how we can help. Because you're here today, we are offering a coupon code. Our goal is basically to provide any level of help you need from minimal. We have membership options that just give you database access and it's searchable. It has the admissions requirements. It has information about proof of means, about the programs. And again, it's, it's searchable and, and has all of that. Um, and then all the way up through consulting. If you want more hands-on help through the whole process, I'm here to provide that as well. All memberships include, we were playing with how to do this. All memberships include access to me. Um, we were doing a monthly Q&A call. Then we were playing with Google groups. I think we're going back, we are actually going back to the monthly member Q&A calls um, this month. But when we do make those changes, I always solicit um, members feedback on which way they would best like to have access from me. So we do have a coupon code that can be used for any level of membership. One of the services we offer that I really, really love is the best fit list of programs. I talked about that before. I love doing them and I love um, getting the feedback from the students after they see the best fit list and, and then ending up seeing where they go. It's interesting because we have these levels of services. There's oftentimes we have members, you know, who, who get the um, membership access. And then I don't know anything about them if they don't come to the member Q&A calls. I don't know them personally. And then I get a call from a school saying, oh, we had, you know, five applicants who talked about beyond the states. And, you know, so, so the reach is um, greater than I even know. So it's, it's really catching on and, and it's really exciting. I was digressing though. So there are other ways you can add free information from us. Um, our website, of course, we have our podcast. Um, we do have a newsletter. You can sign up on our website if, um, if you haven't. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Oh, we're going to have something in the works for Instagram I'm excited about, which is doing um, takeovers and having student, international students in Europe doing Instagram takeovers, uh, which I just learned about. I'm so not savvy with Instagram. So, um, and we'll be posting those on Facebook as well. So. There's a little uh, motivator to follow us on social media. I'm really glad um, you could join me today, and uh, I hope to work with some of you in the future. Thanks for listening today. I do want to mention more about the social media takeovers. We've had two now, one of our members from AAU in Prague, and then another member who's studying at the University of Pech in Hungary. So it's really cool as a way to get a glimpse into what their life as a student looks like in these cities. They've posted pictures of the actual school, pictures of their student housing, um, places they like to eat, things like that. Uh, and we do have other members who will be participating as well, so keep an eye out for that. As always, you can find our show notes and more information on our website, beyondthestates.com. And if you enjoy the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you would rate us on Stitcher or iTunes. Thanks. Thanks.